If you like what you're listening to, support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com, search Phil Dawson, or find a link in the show notes and join up. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Chapter 25, Rack. Tonos was in chains. A set of manacles bound his wrists no more than a foot apart, and the second set similarly constrained his ankles. The chains of the manacles were gathered together at his midsection, where another, longer chain secured the entire collection to a large iron ring in the floor. He could not stand up fully, much less move comfortably. Not that there was much room to move in or places to go if he could. The room was without furniture save for a single stool. A grate above allowed in some diffused light on an irregular schedule, and another grate in the floor carried away waste. A single iron door with a shutter was set along one wall. A human skull leered in the corner, the remains of a previous occupant. Other than that, nothing. Nothing but him and his chains. A pity really, thought Tanos, because the war had been going so well up to that point. Mishra had spread himself too thin, and the combined kingdoms of Argiv and Corlys took advantage of the weakness. Mishra managed to hold the northern passes well enough, but the defenses into Yosha were threadbare at best. Raiding from the combined kingdoms intensified until finally a group of Corlysian volunteers were trapped in Yosha and massacred. The martyrs of Corlys were noteworthy for both their youth and the fact they were not in the pay of anyone else. Instead, they were true patriots of their nation, the sons and daughters of merchant lords. Their slaughter electrified the southern of the two united countries, and demands rang out to the combined king to take action immediately. It had happened as Tanos had predicted, before Urza was ready, but later than Tanos himself had anticipated. The Lord Protector had sufficient manpower to throw his machinery south, without seriously depleting the northern passes, with most of Mishra's forces heading west to Serenth, no one expected a strike against Argiv. There were strikes, of course, but they were badly planned and hastily launched and dealt with by the forces at hand. Instead, a full army of Argivians and newly patriotic Corlysians headed south and west, backed by ornithopters, Yoshin soldiers, a variety of Avengers, including the new Sentinel model, Triskelions and a four-part flying creature called a Tetravis. The legion spilled over the borders and into occupied Yosha. The Falaji garrisons were not enough to hold the borders, but sufficient to offer more than token resistance and prevent a quick campaign. The Falaji began a regular retreat over the next year, withdrawing from one province to strike at another. They burned the territories to which they never intended to return. By the fall of the first year, the areas south of the wreckage of Krug were freed from Falaji rulership, if not their raids. This included Jorolin and the other coastal cities. By the end of the next year, the Falaji had been driven from most of Yosha with the exception of the Transmarden provinces and the sword marches. Seven enemy dragon engines had been destroyed in the process in pitched battles that tested Urza's machines to the utmost. The land was wrecked by the despoiling Falaji in the Wars of Liberation but it was retaken at last. Tonos rode at the head of the army through the streets and recovered towns to cheers, to hard eyes as well, from those who had suffered under the Falaji and wondered what their former queen was doing, safe and secure in Penrigan. 
They got their answer soon enough. Yosha was incorporated into the combined kingdoms of Corlys and Argive, without so much as asking the newly freed people. The queen would not return, and Yosha would be a vassal state for the United Kingdoms. After more than ten years of war, Yosha had traded one master for another. Tanos understood this at the time. He knew it was only a way to convince the Argivian nobles and Corlysian merchant lords to help mend the shattered landscape and feed a population whose fields had been burned by the retreating Falaji. But the part of him that was Yoshin did not like it, and it was clear others felt the same way. There was a similar reaction to the Lord Protector's next decision. The people assumed that Urza would clear out the rest of the provinces, restoring a complete Yosha. Instead, he eschewed retaking the sword marshes for of his father-in-law. The army massed for an assault across the Marden, making for Tomakul itself. The oceans muttered and talked about the Corlys merchants and how the Corlysians lusted to regain their protected trade routes to beyond Tomakul. Tonos knew better. Mishra had apparently made Tomakul his base of operations, and Urza was coming for his brother. The procedure was slow, methodical, and utterly relentless. The advance was held to 30 miles a day, though some of the automatons could travel further than that. At every night's stop, one of Urza's towers was erected, fitted with great mirrors and signal fires to communicate with its neighbors. A permanent garrison was stationed of men and machines, and the remainder pressed on. As they pressed westward, the resistance stiffened, and more manpower was called for. From his headquarters in Penrigan, Urza was finally forced to weaken the passes in order to supply the main assault. In addition, the Lord Protector hired mercenary units, promising plunder when Tomakul fell. The Corlysians were nervous about the decision to offer Tomakul to the sword, but since most of the mercenaries were theirs, they abided by it. By this time, Taunus was leading the army westward, though officially in a capacity advisory to General Sharaman. Taunus knew the strength and weaknesses of his machines, and the general trusted Taunus' judgment sufficiently to translate the Master Scholar's advice into orders. They were within sight of the great golden domes of Tomakul when everything fell apart. Falaji cavalry had struck along the length of the supply line throughout the march and on several occasions had taken a tower, forcing part of the army to double back to re-establish their lines of communications. At first, the attacks had been sporadic, but now they were almost continual. Indeed, Tanos blamed their defeat in part on the regular nature of those attacks. The Argivians had been immured to the continual raiding, and as a result, they didn't realize the nature of the assaults had changed. Tanos also blamed the defeat on lack of adequate information. Saren's capital had fallen as they pressed west after years of siege, and no one told the Argivian force. Most of the Cerinthian countryside was still in revolt, but the nation's great walled city had finally fallen, and troops previously tied down in siege were now flooding south, bearing down on Tanos' column. Urza had taken too long to arrive at Tomakul, and Mishra now had the opportunity to respond in force. First were the dragon engines. Mishra had lashed together at least a dozen, most of them clanking imitations, plus two of the ones that had leveled Krug. These moved like panthers and struck without mercy. There was also a new type, one that could fly, and it scattered the ornithopters like sparrows before a hawk. Then there were the transmorgans, zombie-like beings that had once been men, but were now shambling engines of destruction. These bunched up against their assailants, and Tonos's clay statues were slaughtered in droves. The transmigrants had been taught to pull the clay from the statue's forms, like ants cleaning a carcass. The amorphous clay had not a chance to regather itself. Neither did the Argivian army. From its position farthest forward, 
It was driven back to post after post, retreating, fighting, then retreating again. Word arrived that new Corlysian mercenaries were coming up in the line, bringing with them the mechanical garrisons from the previous towers. The reinforcements never materialized. Instead, the retreating Argivian forces found one of the towers in the hands of Mishra's cavalry, who had flanked the line of march and now bore down on the remains of Sharman's force with Urza's own automatons. The field was covered in blood and resounded with the screams of the valiant and the dying. Tanos held his own for a short while, surrounded by a pair of his clay statues. He formed one island of an archipelago of Argivian defenders, ringed by Falaji swordsmen and unliving opponents. The sky belonged to flying engines of destruction. Then there was an explosion, a darkness. He woke in the dark of the pit. He had been bruised badly, particularly around the face, but was otherwise unharmed. He had now been conscious several days by his own count, and except for an unspeaking guard who slapped a bowl of gruel-thin porridge before him, there had been no visitors. There was a soft clicking noise as the shutter to the iron door slid open. A flash of dark eyes sparkled on the other side, and it slid back. Then the door was open. Tonos winced at the brightness. Several figures stood in the doorway, silhouettes against the light beyond them. The foremost strode into the cell, removed her gloves. She wore spiked armor. Hello, Duck, said Ashnod. I hope you've enjoyed your quarters. It's not much, but it's better than you deserve. It's called an obelay, she said as two guards brought in furniture. It's apparently an old Falaji tradition from back when they took prisoners on a regular basis. A dimly lit cell perfect for making personal enemies disappear. Tomacool's tunneled with them. We had to clear some of the bones out of this one so we could put you here. The skull was left as a reminder. Its owner starved here, ignored by the guards, and abandoned by her captors. The guards brought in a heavy chair with thick pillows and padding. Ashnod set herself gently down on the pillows. The guards placed a small table before her. The table had claw-like legs that gripped the rough stone floor. Ashnod tried to shake the table, and when it did not move, she nodded her approval. The table is fitted with a single manacle. One of Taunus's hands, the right one, was freed of his wrist cuff and forced at a dagger point through the table-mounted manacle, palm upward. The guard fastened the cuff shut with iron pins, and two of them left. One remained. There are those among the Falaji who want you dead, said Ashnod. They are, fortunately, outnumbered by the ones who want you to suffer a long time first. She pulled from her bag a circular device looking like a flat plate to which an odd set of struts and wires had been attached. She slid the plate forward beneath Tonos's right hand. The remaining guard placed the dagger's edge against Tonos's throat as Ashnod attached small clamps to each of his fingertips. The clamps drew blood as they pricked his flesh. Tonos waited until the dagger had been withdrawn from his neck, then said, And which group do you represent? His lips felt like lumps from the earlier unknown beating. As always, I represent myself, the red-haired woman said, throwing a knife-edged switch before her. Tonos convulsed as a charge of energy passed up his hand and into his body. He nearly fell from his stool, but his hand was firmly manacled to the table, and the table was firmly set to the floor. He twisted and turned as the current ran through his body. Ashnod tripped open the switch. It works, she said. Tanos gasped. What is? Ashnod replied. The Falaji have a number of traditional tortures. Rack, 
Thumbscrew, Garrett. Mishra had worked his own version of the rack years ago, designed to cause maximum discomfort for minimum effort. This, she patted the device like it had snared his hand, is a smaller version of my own rack. Like it? Love it, gasped Tonos. Fits you perfectly. Why don't you just kill me? That's one option, said Ashnod. One I don't want to be forced into. Ashnod, said Tonos. When you were our prisoner, we treated you well. Here's a hint, duck, said Ashnod. By Falaji standards, this is being treated well. Most of your compatriots have been killed. Mistra doesn't even trust Yoshin slaves anymore. He thinks Urza can read their minds at a distance. Mishra wanted to deliver your head, pickled to Mama Duck Urza. I talked him out of it, said you had knowledge we could use. I won't tell you anything, spat Tanos. I know, said Ashnot calmly, but it was either this or the pickling jar. Why tell me this, growled Tanos. In the hopes I'll tell you something useful? In part, said Ashnod. And with your friends listening? asked Tanos. Ashnod shook her head. Understanding Argivian is considered to be a black mark in the Falaji armed forces these days. Watch. She turned to the guard and said clearly, I turned your father into a transmigrant and your grandfather and brother too because they were insufficient bedmates. The guard said nothing. Ashnod turned back. See? If I said the same thing in Falaji, he'd be after my blood. She turned to the guard and barked out a command in the desert language. The guard started to protest in the same tongue, and Ashnod shouted at him again. The guard hesitated, glowered at Tanos, then left the cell. The door swung shut behind him. The shutter opened briefly, then closed. Now you have to do me a favor, said Ashnod. At your disposal, Tano said bitterly. My back is to the door, she said, and I figure our guards will be checking regularly on my progress with you. So when the shutter opens, give me the high sign, and I will give you a little dose. Why would I do that, said Tano's, because if you don't, I'll have to zap you randomly just to keep up appearances, she said, and threw the knife switch again. Tanos's body stiffened as the charge roared up his arm. The secret word is traitor, okay? Easy to remember. Just stop doing that. Oh, come on, said Ashnod with a smile. This is nothing close to a lethal dose for a man your size and age. Trust me, I know. I believe you, said Tanos. Those transmigrants, the zombie men, they're yours, aren't they? What do you think? She said, smiling. They're horrible, said Tanos. Ashnod's smile flickered for just a moment, and when it returned, there was a forced feeling about it. I thought you would understand of anyone. They were once living men, hissed Tanos. Emphasis on once, returned Ashnod. They were criminals, slaves, prisoners, people they were going to kill and leave out for the vultures anyway. I found a use for them. Traitor, snapped Tanos quickly. Ashnod threw the switch, and another bolt of energy blasted through Tanos' arm and shoulder. It seemed to him that she left the switch closed for slightly longer than she needed to. When Tonos recovered, she continued. The desert has only two resources. The Thran relics are one, and Mishra has gone as far as he can with them. The other is people. They're a resource, too. Tonos said nothing. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, said Ashnod. Or bloody, added Tonos angrily. Her hand hovered over the switch, then pulled back. We don't have all the wealth of the Eastern nations, she said defensively. We have to make do with what we have. 
You don't take care of what you have, said Tanos. When Ashnod looked at him, confused, he said, You stripped Yosha to the ground. Ashnod's eyes lowered. Yes, that. I argued against that too, but Mishra overruled me there. That ever happened with Urza? Tanos hesitated for a moment, then nodded. More often than I want to think about. Why was it a bad idea? Didn't I just agree with you? asked Ashnod. Yes, but I probably won't like your reason why. Because it's a waste of resources, said Ashnod. Of material and manpower we might have held and used later. Thought as much, said Tanos. Traitor! Another flip of the switch, though this one not as long as the previous. Nevertheless, Tanos was sure that his heart had stammered in its beating in the middle of the jolt. But you were overruled, said Tanos, when he could continue to breathe again. Uh-huh, said Ashnod. Mishra's been putting distance between the two of us for years now. He wants my transmigrants, my battle armor, and my other creations, but he doesn't want to be seen as depending on me. It's a sign of weakness among the Falaji, and even after all these years, he depends on their support. The other chieftains? said Tanos, guessing whom she meant. And others, returned Ashnod. He has an aide from way back who's just like his second shadow. And then there's the Gixons. They would just love to go pawing through my notes. Gixons? inquired Tanos. The Brotherhood of Gix? Machine worshippers? Yeah, grunted Ashnod. Nasty little creatures. They're in the Argivian court as well, said Tanos. Your spies? Ashnod shrugged. Don't know. They may be playing both sides against the center. I don't trust them. Nor I agreed Tanos. Less now that I know they're working with Urza's brother as well. Traitors. Another throw of the knife switch and Tanos yelped. Finally, he said, I don't know if I could take much more of this. Agreed, said Ashnod. And we spent long enough for me to claim you'll be a very hard nut to crack, loyal unto death for Mama Duck Urza and all that. So they'll kill me now? spat Tanos. Was that what all this was? One last chance to taunt me? One last chance to see if you're as smart as I am, said Ashnod, sharply, and one more chance to embarrass the others on whom Mishra depends so heavily. If everything goes well, a chance to have you owe me a favor. A girl can never be owed too many favors. I don't understand you, said Tanos. You will, said Ashnod. If you're as smart as I think you are, for now, this discussion is over. She flicked the switch shut again, and the pain radiated through Tonos's body until finally the darkness swallowed him. Tonos did not know how long she kept the charge going, but by the time he recovered, the guards were back in the room, and he had been freed from the table and its device. His right hand was a tight ball of pain as they refastened his original chains. But you didn't ask anything, he gasped, about the artifacts. Ashnod knelt beside him and hissed, I don't need to ask anything. We have the remains of your precious artifacts. They will tell me more about Urza and you than a year and a day of torture would. Then she was gone, and the room was in darkness again. For a long time he sat in the shadows, slowly mastering his racing heart and his labored breathing. Once the shutter in the door opened, then shut again after an unseen watcher determined Ashnod had not killed him, Tonal slowly opened his hand. Clenched tightly in his palm were two of Ashnod's earrings and a spool of golden wire. The gemstones in the earrings glowed with their own internal light. She wanted him to prove he was as smart as she was, he thought. Tanos allowed himself a smile. 
and crawled over to the skull that had been left in his cell. Ashnod was summoned to Mishra's court in the palace of the old Pasha of Tamakul. It was a month after her discussion with Tanos and three days after she had filed a final report on Tanos's artifacts. There were definitely design components she could incorporate into her own work. She did not find Mishra at his workbench. Instead, he was seated on the former Pasha's throne, patting his fingertips, slowly. Ashnod had been surprised by Mishra's appearance when she first returned from Sarinth. The man had let his waistline grow, and there were jowls beneath the silver-flecked beard. He was decked in his desert robes, billowing things that made him seem all the fatter. He had tucked into his belt the symbol of Sarinth itself, a razor-sharp ankh. The strain of the war was telling on him, thought Ashnod. He had been afraid of his brother's response for years, and when it finally came, he beat it back. Now he was afraid for the next assault. Beside the throne, a slightly behind it, was Hajar, trusty and silent as ever. On the other side was one of the Gixians, a repulsive priest with a hunchback and mismatched eyes. Ashnot knelt, then rose to hear Mishra's words. Tanos escaped his dungeon cell five nights ago, he said quietly. Ashnot frowned. Why was I not informed, she said hotly. Has he been found? Not yet. And no one told me, snapped Ashnod. I might have aided in the pursuit, or hindered it, said the Gixian. Ashnod gave the priest a look that clearly showed she was sizing him up for the transmigrant tank. What do you mean? Mishra answered instead. An accusation has been made about your involvement in this matter. My, said Ashnod, letting her voice trail off in astonishment. Who makes such wild accusations? Mishra said nothing, but the Gixian priest laughed. It was a nervous, clicking chuckle. You did meet with the escaped prisoner, said Mishra finally. Once, said Ashnod hotly, almost a month ago on your orders to ascertain whether he would break under the rack. I quickly determined that he would not and left him there to rot. It was there in my report. Of course, said Mishra smoothly, waving aside her comment of the report. The fact of the matter is, Tanos made his escape by means of a device similar to your own staff. Pardon? Ashnod wondered if she was acting sufficiently surprised by the news. A device that weakened his guard, continued Mishra. A device that allowed him to immobilize a patrol that had almost snared him. A device similar to which you used against me once before at the walls of Zegon. That proves nothing, said Ashnod, then took a deep breath. I was relieved of my own staff when I was captured in Krug. Tonos could have examined it then and prepared himself for the eventuality of capture. It is not my fault if your guards did not search him sufficiently. And your conversation? said Mishra, ignoring her words. Very unusual interrogation technique. My methods have been suited to your needs before, said Ashnod, but she felt a cold chill run down her back. Had one of the guards been able to understand them? As if reading her mind, Mishra said, While the guards spoke only Falaji to prevent them from communicating with the prisoner, they did have fairly good memories. The recitation of the words proved interesting. They did not understand any of the words, so the translation was garbled, but they paid special attention whenever you mentioned my name. The cold chill became a winter blast. Ashnod said, If you do not trust me, master, next time send along a guard who speaks the prisoner's language. I am sure they were mistaken what they heard and reported to you. I would be inclined to believe you, said Mishra, were it not for the one last piece of evidence. 
priest, if you please. The Gixon chuckled and held out his hand. In his palm were the setting to a pair of earrings. The gemstones had been removed. Found them in the sewers beneath the cell, said the priest with a giggle. Amazing what people lose, said Ashnod coldly. Indeed, said Mishra, looking over Ashnod's shoulder now. They look similar to a set I've seen you wear, except those are now missing, and these are missing the power stones that would have been at their centers. Ashnod opened her mouth and shut it. Mishra's mind had been made up before Ashnod arrived at the door, and he paid not the slightest heed to anything she had said. Even were she innocent of the accusations, the circumstances damned her, and she was not innocent. My lord, she said, switching tactics, were you aware there are members of the Brotherhood of Gix in Urza's court? Mishra's face was calm, but there was a barest twitch of his lips at the mention of his brother's name. Instead, he said, You know that from your interrogation of my brother's student? Yes, said Ashnod. Was that your original report of the interrogation? asked Mishra, his eyes narrowing. Ashnod realized her mistake. While claiming her honesty and innocence, she had revealed there were things she had not reported. She kept her face emotionless and said, I did not want to make wild accusations, she nodded at the priest, without proof. And do you have proof? said Mishra. I was waiting for confirmation from other sources, said Ashnod, but thought you had best know of it now. I know of it, said Mishra, because the good priest here has informed me of the situation, which you had not. You made their case for them. Ashnod grasped at straws. Surely I'm not to be singled out because of a prisoner escape. You are not, said Mishra shortly. There are the guards, said Ashnod. They are already dead, said Mishra, at my command. Ashnod paused for a moment. I see. And my fate? She looked at Mishra and thought she saw his face soften, but only for an instant. You are banished. Most Reverend One, I started Ashnod. Banished, said Mishra, slightly louder. The priest giggled and rubbed his hands together. Yes, Ashnod thought bitterly. The Gictions had their paws in this from start to finish. Urza would not treat his apprentice so shabbily, she said hotly. As soon as the word left her lips, she knew it was a mistake. Mishra's face burst into an emotional storm. What my brother would or would not do is no concern of yours! He thundered. Ashnod felt the force of the words like hammer blows. Mishra leaned back in his chair. The momentary storm had abated, but the fire was still in his eyes. You are banished from this court and from the Falaji Empire. Leave now. If you're found anywhere within my lands after sunup, you will be put to death slowly. Am I clear? Ashnod looked into Mishra's face, then nodded. As glass, she said. She bowed low and retreated from the throne room. She stormed through the halls, making for her quarters. No, she realized, the rest of the Brotherhood was already there, going through her notes and books, stripping her lab of her personal discoveries, looting her possessions. They would be like nothing better than to delay her, then to claim Mishra's order as a chance to get rid of her once and for all. Instead, she went to the stables and took her favorite horse, the black charger that had carried her from the battlefield in Corliss. She took only the clothes on her back and the knowledge in her mind. That would have to be enough. She rode out of the Pasha's royal complex and reined the horse in. The street led east and west, 
east to Argive, a road most likely watched, or west to the unknown. She pulled the horse's reins and began the long trek to the west, to Teresia City and the lands outside either of the brothers' control. The guard at the gate noted her decision and informed the priest of Gix who had asked him to keep an eye out. The priest reported it to his superior, who whispered it to Mishra. Mishra merely nodded and began the plan for the next campaign of his glorious empire.